Well, welcome back to Neighboring. Uh, episode 44 here is with uh, a newer friend of mine, Eric LaRue. Eric has been in Fort Wayne for the last couple of years, but has a long kind of history and professional career in the church world as a pastor, as a faith-based ministry leader, uh, organization leader, and uh, currently here in Fort Wayne doing some really interesting stuff. So welcome, Eric, uh, to the Neighboring Podcast. Yeah, it's good to be on here with you in this format. So looking well, forward to thanks. It. Thanks for adjusting to the Zoom call. One day we will be on Zoom-based podcast soon. I didn't have the hair and makeup people didn't come in today, so I'm just getting this. So. <laughs> well, I wanted to have a conversation. Uh, NeighborLink is very much a faith-based organization, and it's why we started you know, our missions, Practical Neighbor to Neighbor Expressions of God's Love, and so many people that are really dedicated to neighborhoods and neighborhood development and this idea of being good neighbors have some sort of faith component, whether that's, you know, living out their current faith journey. Maybe it was they grew up in a traditional faith uh, situation. They grew up Catholic or Lutheran, or they had some sort of upbringing and that stuff, while may not be as relevant today in a practical day-to-day -day personal way, it's still very much influencing the way they live and um, experiencing neighboring. So I love bringing this back to this conversation because part of the diversity of conversation in neighborhoods is that is very much a part of it, especially here in the Midwest and, and particularly in Fort Wayne and the Northeast Indiana area. So would love for you to introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about your journey and what, what brought you to Fort Wayne a couple years ago? Yeah, well, um, we, my wife's from here, and we have two grandchildren here. Um, but I was also just feeling like in Chicagoland that uh, needed to, like, just wanted to get deeper into a city. We lived in the suburbs of Chicago. So I thought, you know, Fort Wayne is a great city. And so I started praying about it. just felt like one day, just felt like it's time to go. So um, we moved back here and moved into the Foster Park neighborhood and, and love it. I love Fort Wayne. It's a great place to be and great city, great way to connect. It's, it's like a small town, but you can connect everywhere. So I enjoyed that. But uh, prior to all that, um, I, uh, I grew up, I, I have a little bit of a church background as a kid. And I came from the kind of church where everything was about foreign mission field. Mm -hmm. You didn't really have to live your, you had to go to church and help people in other countries, but you didn't have to do anything other than that. So um, when I kind of had a little bit of a faith awakening in college when I was 20, I, I immediately was in school for business and started thinking real differently about spirituality and how that played out in uh, the way that I live my life every day intentionally. Um, and so that's kind of, that kind of got me on the journey, uh, of where I'm at now ter in terms of the way that I kind of express my faith and live it out in the neighborhood. So, um, and I've had some great, I, I started a church with a hundred young adults in Chicago, which was just nuts. And, um, we, uh, we just had a blast, you know. Uh, impacting our community and 
building relationships. And um, so I just carry that with me all the time too, even though I don't pastor a church anymore. Um, I'm not sure what I do some days, but I, I know we're, I know this, that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to be good neighbors. I remember that part of it. So uh, that kind of drives things. Um, but I've seen some neat things happen and, and we can talk further about it, but I've seen some really cool things happen in neighborhoods um, that, that kind of keeps me going. So what, what were some of the stories that uh, come to mind or some of the experiences you had that really helped kind of shape that idea of like understanding what neighboring or what love your neighbor really meant in a practical way? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many of them, but you know, I can think of, um, being in just a friendship relationship with people in the neighborhood and um, just sharing things practically. And I remember my I had a neighbor who didn't speak very good English, but um, he needed a lawnmower and I had an extra one. I needed a piece of furniture repaired and that's what he did. And we communicated enough to be able to do that. And in that same neighborhood, I remember, uh, um, built a relationship with a guy there and he lost his job and it was really devastating. And I can remember I had turned my, my garage into kind of a man space, you know, a man okay. kid. So he's sitting down there with me. I, I just got it all completed. And he was the first guy to sit down there. He just, just kind of fell apart from losing his job and was just at wit's end and had an opportunity to just introduce him to a relationship with God in that setting. Um, it was almost like a coronation of the of the man cave <laughs> in the best way possible. So those are some of my early on uh, situations um, and um, living in an apartment complex and seeing um, the uh, apartment manager who really didn't like me that much. Um, in fact, told me to stop paying my rent so early, uh, mess, messed her bookkeeping up, but getting a chance eventually to when she got in a cancer situation to spend some time with her uh and and just it's it's fun for me to watch relationships change in the neighborhood people you meet that maybe maybe it didn't go really well to begin with yeah. but that's something forms out of that and um you see a change happen in their life in your life and in the neighborhood ultimately begins to be transformed through those interactions and relationships. So what did you, did you get really exposed through to this idea? What, I guess, what has your relationship been to like volunteerism and serving and connecting? Is it just because you are a highly relational guy and, and don't know a stranger and more gravitate because of who you are? Or did you have, um, some transactional experiences through church or or mission stuff or volunteerism that really helped you uh, along this kind of path and journey to be to be aware yeah, think, of yeah I think as a college student you know um, new to my faith we you did a lot of things in college with groups of people and we went on missions trips and we went to inner city places and and I am extroverted I, I do it's not hard for me to meet people and connect with people. And, and I like to help people too, just even, even beyond it's even beyond my faith experience. So that only just kind of supercharges that desire. But I, I had some great experiences when I was younger that way. And my parents were pretty strong at that as well. So 
from an early age, I saw the value of serving in the community. My dad started a junior achievement when I was a kid. Um, and uh, we did different things like that. And so I was kind of used to that, that kind of thing. And so that just is sure. wherever I've lived. I would say, I'd say later in life, I, I think I have a better understanding of the importance of it from a missiological standpoint. But that's not, I didn't, I didn't enter it through that lens. Yeah, that was uh, what I was curious about, because I don't think that many people do, or I certainly didn't. Um, much of my exposure to this concept of neighboring or being in relationship and, and just having a broad enough worldview to engage with diverse populations or diverse neighbors is through transactional volunteerism and just being present and staying committed and uh, using using volunteerism as a way to um, create cross-cultural or socioeconomic relationships that helped form my understanding of really the the challenges of life um, and the circumstances of life and learned early on of gosh we're only if all of this is true and all these people I meet and I'm you meet some really great people that you're attempting to try to help who end up helping you and you recognize yeah. that it's gosh we're we're all just a few choices or a few life circumstances away from needing the care and being in the in the same situation that those that we may be trying to serve through a transactional nature kind of project are in which um the more you do that the more you recognize like there are great people everywhere and this is as much about my own development and kind of leaning in and taking that and then from for us one of the things i'm curious if this was true to you once my wife and I bought our first house, like we kind of kept inching closer, but then it was like, okay, I guess where we buy our house matters. Like it's not just about the house or the job or the schools. Like if we want to kind of continue on this missional journey, then where we buy our house matters as much as anything else. And that's a big statement and one that you don't really quite understand, but a journey that we followed in and, it's a whole, we began learning that it's a whole lot different when it's the neighbors to your left and to the right and around the block that you're wanting to be available to help, but without them asking you, then you have to approach things differently. I can't just go knock on everybody's doors right. and say, your gutters are falling off. Let me fix that for you. Like, and yeah. especially when they tell me, no, I don't want you to help. Then, well, no, your gutter's falling off. You need my help. And it just doesn't quite work that way. It's a lot easier to knock on the door and say, my gutters are falling off. I need your help, which I have used oh, yeah. my neighbor's ladder um, here. And yeah, I just, I, I don't know what life would be like without connecting with neighbors. Uh, I think of, we had some neighbors that we met here and just really got connected with. And before they moved, I was with him and he said, Hey, Eric, you know, we had a couple people look at the house and we just felt like these one people wouldn't be good neighbors for you. So we took a pass on selling the house to them. And I'm like fighting back tears. And I've only known this guy for less than two years. And it's just wrecking me, you know, but I'm thinking, wow, I don't know what, I, you know, I don't know how you have the frequency that you do with people unless you live close to them. And, um, so that that's one of the ones that's impacted me recently, and and um, we we've helped each out 
each other out with different things. But um, that was like one that I did not see coming in terms of the impact on me. And I think most of the time, I'm the one that gets impacted um, in these situations. And uh, I, get, I get changed and transformed. Um, I'm thinking of a, a couple that I did like some coaching with, helping them with their neighborhood. Uh, they didn't know any neighbors. They knew one neighbor, take that back. So um, through the process of relationship with them, and they lived in the neighborhood for 10 years, they, they met probably 25 neighbors. But the wife, um, she was studying for the CPA exam, and she was like, I just don't have any time to connect with these people that I want to be in relationship with. Well, it was so cool because the four or five houses in front of their house, everybody in those houses was in the accounting field. Wow. And she, they, she started having conversations. They started helping her with studying for accounting. And they built this bond and they all went on a journey together of her taking the CPA exam, basically. And it was like, so it was, it so fit into what she was already having to do and the, and the space that she was already in, in her life. And I just think those almost serendipitous things to me are what's really magical about the whole thing. Um, and I would say on the missiological side of things, what I, what I have come to appreciate about the understanding, maybe a theological understanding to um, neighboring is that when it gets difficult, I have that to go, no, wait a minute, this is, this is a non-negotiable for me. Um, and I think when it, um, and it allows me to do it for a long period of time. So in other words, <clears throat> I don't do it because I'm waiting for the next sort of cool thing to happen. I'm doing it now more consistently because it's, it's the core of who I think I actually, it's part of my identity. Yeah. And so that keeps me doing it in a sustainable long-term way. And obviously when you're doing it long-term sustainably, you see really cool things happen. You know, if you give up too quick, you don't see some of the, some of the neat things that take place in your life and the lives of others. So, yeah. Well, your work today as um, a consultant and a connector and working through some churches, we interact with a lot of churches here in Fort Wayne um, on mission and our experience um, in a very generalized sense. Um, most churches are very small. You know, having one, two staff, three staff people tops, uh, part-time, lots of people helping. And so the majority of churches are, are very small. Uh, there's always this criticism between church and church on mission, and then the idea that churches go overseas far more than they go locally. And if any group in the community is supposed to care and respond and share and fix things, it's likely the local church. And that idea that, well, uh, looking at the practicality side, we don't always see it, or we have higher expectations than, than we think um, than should. With all of that, like, there's always this tension between, like, churches should be more engaged, or they should be working on these things, or community development, or whatever it is towards whatever our social ills of the community are. And we certainly are finding that now with response to COVID-19 and 
we're seeing some really great things, but on a normal season, uh, unless you're looking closely or unless you account for the personal side of things from a corporate perspective, churches aren't traditionally as engaged or they're not long-term engaged in many of um, communities or neighborhoods like they are. So really would love your thoughts on the role of the church in the neighborhood and when it, when it works well and maybe some ideas of why it doesn't work well. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to think about it, you know, from, from an understanding of, you know, God is the missio day, the sent and sending God. And so as uh, people that identify faith-wise and Jesus being the model of that, you have to come to a, a place off, not, this isn't the only way, but one of the ways is coming to an understanding that I'm a sent person um, and the church is a sent body. Um, and that, that's not often in the thinking of people involved with churches. Um, they've just not been exposed to that kind of thinking. Uh, I would love it if that were the approach that, you know, we could always take and that that always worked. Um, but it's not. And so, like you said, sometimes experiential things are just the best way to do it. Like just, you know, leaders in a church seeing the value themselves and, leading others in that and modeling it themselves. That's how culture change happens in a church. And so the, the, the leaders have to, to some measure, engage themselves in it. And um, I don't know why, this is maybe a little bit of a random uh, thought on this, but I think in the church world, we tend to think about, I mean, let's face it, the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection is a pretty important time signature <laughs> among yeah. all kinds of other things for the church, right? But from a missiological standpoint, we tend to think of from the resurrection forward as all the, that's all the good stuff. Jesus rose from the dead, and now we can have new life. And I totally believe all that. I've experienced all that. But, but Jesus, in his incarnation, was in the neighborhood and was a regular person for 30 years of his life. Was that wasted time? Was the time that he spent working and living in a neighborhood and being a neighbor, was that wasted? I don't think it was. And so I think sometimes we have to change our understanding of what's purposeful and what's important and what's significant. And too often we've, you know, we've said things like, you know, going to another country is a big, that's a big deal, way bigger than actually knowing your neighbor's name. And we have to change that conversation and that culture. That's the long-term work um, uh, to, really, to really bring the transformation. Um, but I find once you help people do that, and once people have a good experience in the neighborhood, neighboring, being neighbored and neighboring somebody else, then that's, what, that's where they go. It, it has to be visceral is the way I put it. Otherwise, it doesn't change you. You know, and I remember walking through a neighborhood with a young guy and we had been into a gentleman's mobile home and he had like five or six holes in his roof. And, and this guy's a, the guy with me is kind of a newer guy to the faith and following Jesus. And he said, man, Eric, how do you like, how do you do this over and over again? And I said, well, I just feel like what I'm doing for that guy to just be his friend and talk to him 
I can't necessarily fix all the problems, but I feel like I'm doing that to Jesus. And that that's just a part of my, my identity. I don't do it because of, of a result or, hey, we fixed that. Or, um, and I find that those experiences with people just being out there, once that happens, it's a game changer for people. But I, I've had to lead people personally into those spaces and help them have those experiences because somebody else did that with me. That's why I do it. And at the end of the day, that's what really makes the difference. What are some of the challenges if I were um, the leader of a church or a pastor saying, you know what, our, our, our church just needs to be more connected to things that matter in the neighborhood and the community, but I really don't know where to begin. How do you usually start those conversations or move those conversations forward? Well, I think the vortex of the local church tends to just consume everything. Uh, so in a local church, I think there's a lot of activities happening. Then you take the family, and in America, that is a biological family generally. We don't think outside of that as, as much as we should, or maybe even that other countries do. Um, or, and so I think somehow you have to, you have to minimize those in, an, in, a, in the right way to create some space. And I think you have to be able to, I think the tricky part of, from a church standpoint, a church leadership standpoint is things in the neighborhood aren't very well controlled and they're not as manageable like in a very tangible way. Preparing a sermon, I know how long it takes me to do that and I know what I need to do and I know what, how it's gonna come out for the most part. It's gonna be okay. And it's going to take me like six hours to put together, you know, but like the mystery of the neighborhood and how I help my people connect with their neighbors or serve in a neighborhood that's adjacent to them or uh, in the same area. I don't have a playbook for that. If, if I'm a seminary trained pastor, I certainly did not learn it in seminary. Um, if I haven't had somebody experientially help me with that, if I were a pastor that didn't have any experience, I'd probably find another pastor that has and say, walk me through this so I can walk my people through it. I think in reality, that's, that's probably one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. I think that's a great illustration of what I think practically happens is churches are not, and they're not designed to mobilize people. Mm -hmm. in function operations and so i'm always kind of bouncing between is this a theological like conversation issue like we we care we know we can talk about it but there's we're not really prioritizing it or is it really just a is it as much a structure issue of like how our team is built how our staff is set how you know what is because it takes a lot of work because the engagement aspect it is and can be a black hole because there's never there's a never-ending finish line you know being a good neighbor is is a is not something you accomplish it's something you work on every day and uh, that goes true from a corporate corporate perspective um it's a and, slow activity mm -hmm. you really have to slow down to, to love people and you definitely have to slow down to love your neighbor and that's just not that's not even a part of our culture in america it's church when it's about accomplishing something versus about transformation right. and 
uh, our desire is transformation, yet our model that we have a hard time getting out of is fixing something. Yeah. And less about we do these things because we are transforming ourselves versus we do these things too because we think we can fix it or change it. Yeah. And those need to work together in some ways. But um, the idea of this being about our own personal transformation, and we do this out of obedience and commitment for uh, trying to become better individuals rather than because we think we can fix it. And we certainly want to fix something yeah. or be helpful, but. Uh, yeah. different. Well, and I think, you know, the under, I think here's where missiology helps that, you know, every person's made in the image of God. So they, they are equally important to God and should be to us. And if God is the sent and sending God, he's already at work by his spirit in the people in your neighborhood. I'm not doing anything except showing up, but if I don't show up, I'm going to miss out on what God's doing. And I think when when we take the pressure off of us to produce or provide or bring, we think we're bringing something to it, that does, that's a non-starter for a lot of us. But when we say God's already, he's doing the work, he's already working, I just need to be there. I think that um, increases the motivation and takes some of the fear out of it. And I would also say to, to church leaders, anything you want to do, back up 10 steps because we always skip ahead to kind of the final product and it's that's a non-starter too anything you want to accomplish that's new i always just say let's let's build a list of 10 steps going backwards leading up to that and that's usually the process that you have to to go through to bring change um, so if you're going to shift from just gathering on sundays and having small groups with people in the church to neighboring well, you're going to have to backtrack a ways and build sort of some steps towards that. And that, that could be different for every church, um, depending on their background and their history and their leadership. So That's great. From uh, shifting gears towards some of the positive things you've seen, um, this is a good transition towards you've been working with some some young people and starting to see some people move into places more intentionally, like taking that conversation of, okay, this is lifestyle. This, I want this to be more of my lifestyle, uh, living in proximity um, or living more intentionally and more incarnationally, whatever the, the term you want to use yeah. in this. Uh, it, it is often very idealistic for many, Meaning we've had that conversation. That seems really great. I get it. I feel the pull for it, for it. Yet all of the practicalities of it seem overwhelming and prevent us from doing so. And that's okay for many families. Then with those families, you try to change the conversation. Okay, well, how do you be a better neighbor wherever you're at? Because this can happen no matter what. You know, that the, the call of the Lord being... Yeah. For you to pour yourself out and be more available to your neighbors is is true no matter where. Yeah. But one of the one of the great things is there seems to be a growing effort and initiative, at least locally, of specifically younger people and you know younger families that are choosing to move in close proximity to other members of their own community, uh, moving into neighborhoods that they wouldn't necessarily choose just on paper. Um, yeah. Tell us uh, some of the stories and some of the bright spots that you've seen. 
Yeah, well, I'll go back even prior to here because I've had not, I haven't so much influenced some of the people here because I haven't been here that long, but the mobile home park that I was talking about earlier had 100 mobile home units in it. One of the uh, women in our church who had kind of a strong justice orientation in her faith, uh, she decided to move into that mobile home park just for the same reason that you mentioned, like very intentional, wouldn't be a place that she would live um, normally. And so, um, but what was interesting is that those of us that didn't live in the Malone Park, she had to be okay with us coming and joining her in what she was doing and us not being second-class citizens because we weren't willing to move in there. <laughs> and so we had to work through that a little bit. And um, so I do think we can't make it I think there has to be different callings for different people. Yeah. And the beauty of neighboring is everybody's got to live someplace. And which means everybody's going to have neighbors. And you don't get to choose those neighbors wherever you are. And you're going to have a variety and a diversity. Um, one pastor I was coaching, um, it drove like an 45 minutes to his church to pastor it. And I said, have you ever thought about just meeting your neighbors? And so he goes, not nah, I really haven't. So he invited all of his neighbors to come to a bonfire in his driveway, and him and his wife were sitting there thinking nobody's going to come. Well, he had a very, very white Dutch church, but he had six nations represented in his driveway before the night was over. And so, like, just the the sheer um, variety and diversity of any neighborhood you live in nowadays. It doesn't matter if you're in the suburbs, the inner city or wherever, the diversity level is going to be, it's going to stretch yeah. anywhere wherever they are. And I think, I think, um, I think anybody that anywhere they live that neighbors, that is important. And we got to be careful not to, not to raise the bar so high on the incarnational piece that, yeah. you know, yeah, some of the incarnational piece really comes in if you have a justice mindset for um, seeing potentially lower income neighborhoods start to transform and understanding the social, like the, the parameters in which neighborhoods really and communities develop and understanding like if we want to see major progress happen in some lower income neighborhoods, that means we need to diversify the socioeconomics of that place. Yeah. And that means less about trying to get people to move out and and more about how do we get people of resource and education and stability to move in and yeah. take the proactive approach and uh, that becomes and I, a and I think the more a, the more um you're doing that it requires more people willing to do it with you yeah it kind of mitigates sort of the the risk of it in a lot of senses um and and it increases the impact because you're going to need just not you and your wife and kids, you know, or, or your roommate and you. You're going to need a few more people to make that impact. And that's what we've seen here with some of the young adults that have moved into neighborhoods intentionally. It's been a group of them. And in that, they've been able to model um, community that is based on the life of God, <laughs> And as they live that together and encourage each other in that, one, they strengthen each other, but they also model for those around them what it looks like to, to treat each other in a way that's otherworldly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, 
that can't be accomplished as an individual or even maybe as a couple. It takes it takes a more of a community of people to do that. Yeah, it certainly does. Because uh, relationships take time to build, and Excellent. you can't you can't go alone. And so going with others helps you kind of have a community to deal with. And it, from my experience, a dozen years into our neighborhood, it is by by no means the lowest income neighborhood in all of Fort Wayne. If I wanted to to really like go all in, you go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it was as much it was as important to go where there was existing community um, as it was about going to the to the poorest places and so that's one aspect. Uh, would love to get your take. Like we are, you know, 10, 12 weeks into this kind of COVID nineteen response, and I have been so encouraged and um, seen a lot of local churches and members of churches, not just the corporate expression, like seen a lot of really incredible corporate expressions, but also a lot of seeing individuals put their faith into action um, in this kind of neighbor to neighbor connectivity or supporting their own members. What are some of the stories and things you've seen that uh, have stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's been some great things happening around us, like in our church with other people, just rallying around some needs that one I can give you some examples from our neighborhood too, but one that was great, the church that we're a part of, just going into the neighborhood and taking a cell phone number door to door and saying, if you need something, we're here and getting calls almost immediately from that to just meet practical needs. Um, I would say in in my neighborhood, it has been um, people that I knew by name, acquaintances in the neighborhood. Um, I felt like it's, and maybe I've got a cell number or whatever. I feel like I've had um, more of a motivation because of this and an opportunity to just simply text them and say, how are you doing? That might've been weird otherwise um, with, outside of COVID. Um, and so it's, you know, it's the mental and emotional encouragement and strengthening I think that's been happening. Um, and I think we've actually met people through our free um, Facebook thing in our area, people giving stuff to each other. We have people coming to our house and picking stuff up and we've been picking stuff up off of people's porches and sharing things. People pick something up and drop something off for us. And I think in the long run, when this thing sort of moves, we move past this somewhat, I think those relationships are going to t go to another level for sure. So I think you do what you can and I'm a believer in faith is doing what you can do, not what you can't do. And so you just step out in faith and do that and connect with people and have conversations. And it's been, you know, they've been, the conversations have been a little bit further away. Um, but we've, we've made some connects with some people and gone deeper with some people that we knew. I think, I think you're not, I think in the COVID, you don't tend to meet new people. I don't see that, but I think people that you know, if you sat down and made a list of all your neighbors, if you really started thinking about who they are and their names, you'd probably a bigger list than what you think you know. Yeah. And you realize, oh, I've got some familiarity with them. I can reach out to them. I can make sure they're doing okay. And so that's sort of what we've done here is build on those relationships. Um, and I've, I've had some spiritual conversations just because there wasn't anywhere to go or anything. And I'm standing in my front yard talking to somebody and I'm, I'm just saying, 
hey, you know, we're talking about COVID. And I just simply say, does faith play into your experience with this? And, and one neighbor, I just listened to him and he's, as he began to just talk about faith, he was like, I really don't believe in God. And I just listened and listened and he kind of moved to, well, I guess I do kind of believe that there is a God that there has to be, you know, and I just kept listening and he kept convincing himself that maybe there's someone here to help us that's not, you know, physically present with us or whatever, but spiritually present. Yeah. And so just having those kind of conversations, I think there's a little bit of a slowdown to be able to have those conversations. That's so. great. I was glad you brought that up. I was going to ask, um, you know, for, for many people of faith, neighboring is as much a, an expression of faith and would like to take you know, their relationships to um, a different level uh, around evangelism. And I know that's a, a big, strong passion and, and gifting of yours. Uh, would would love if you have any other ideas or suggestions for people that, you know, that doesn't necessarily come come as as easy to or like good questions, that idea of like, what, what does faith, you know, factor yeah. in for this? What are some yeah, other ideas you know, that you have? I think um, what I found is as I as I um, just genuinely get to know people and they get to know me, um, I, I can think of my neighbor helping me clean my gutters out, and we're standing on one roof cleaning them off the next level, and he he starts bringing up prayer. Out of I, I don't even remember how it happened, but he brought it up, um, and. He was talking about, you know, what do you think about the idea of praying just for the sake of talking to God? And he was kind of talking hypothetically, not that he was talking about talking to God versus, you know, only turning to God when you need something, you know? And I'm like, we're up to our elbows in leaves and like black, nasty water because <laughs> I bought a hundred year old house and nobody's ever cleaned it better. But I think as you spend time with people and as you're real and transparent and share your own struggles, like, I mean, I shared the ups and downs of my life. Um, and I find that then other people feel the freedom to do that. Like, and then that, that just makes it natural to be able to say, you know, I often ask people, does faith play any part in that part of your life? Uh, one of my neighbors started a business and he, <laughs> It was, you know, I've done some enough entrepreneurial things to know the risks and he takes, took some real risks and then this thing came. And so, you know, he's, he's out in the backyard having a cigarette and I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him and just see how he's doing. And I just happened to mention, man, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you about your business situation that you get a call type of thing. And I thought, you know, he's, he didn't even hear that is what I'm thinking. And then the next time I talked to him, he was like, hey, I think your prayers work because, you know, I had a couple of really good conversations this week with potential buyers or whatever. And I'm just thinking, you know what? Maybe it's not so weird to talk about faith after all. You know, I mean, yeah. He seemed more comfortable with it than I did. So I, I, think, I think we psych ourselves out. And um, if we're not backing people in the corner, we're not being judgmental or critical. We're not trying to prove anything or argue things. People are statistically, even people are extremely open. But I have found that you talk to people until they pretty much 
ask you or bring up the subject. And uh, <laughs> I remember one of my neighbors, he, he, he would came over and my kids were small and this guy used the F word as a comma. I mean, he just was, and I'm thinking, you know, my kids are younger and I'm thinking, okay, they'll get over it or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, he kind of stops and goes, so how did you, how did you get into what you're doing? And, you know, type of thing, right? And just flat out asked me the question, but we had a lot of conversations leading up to that where we just talk about stuff, you know? So I think if you do that enough um, and you say, God, if, if you open the door, I'll walk through it. That's one of the prayers that I pray all the time. And people will bring up things or say something. And I feel like that's an opportunity to just, you know, have that conversation. And I'm amazed at how open people are talking about it. That's great. And I, I'm not, I don't think my primary gifting is as an evangelist, but I've worked hard at trying to learn some things and, and watched others do it. And that makes it easier. I think. That's, that's great. As we move to, to wrap up, would love for you to give your definition of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Yeah, I think to be a good neighbor um, is to know my neighbor's names and to know what, what some of their deeper, maybe not their deepest, but some of their deeper wants, needs, and desires are. Um, so that I don't just know their name, but I know them. Um, and I think if I can, uh, if I can just get to that place, then everything else sort of flows from that, I guess. And so that takes slowing down. It takes being vulnerable with your own life, um, sharing some of those things in your own life as well. Um, but when you know, and I even had, even at your greatest fears, right? I mean, we live fear is a threshold that we all have to we get stuck at. Um, when, when those things become part of the conversation, I feel like, man, I'm this is this is it right here um, for me, anyways. Yeah. Eric, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on this podcast. Man, I, it's, have... it's been a privilege. I've had a, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and our conversations over the last year or so, and uh, so appreciate your approach to this. I've picked up plenty of questions and thoughts today as I try to incorporate that in our, in my own life. So, well, I love the posture of NeighborLink and, uh, and what you all are doing, not only just the activity of what you're doing, but the, the um, heart posture of it and the wisdom behind why you do what you do as well. So I'm a big fan. So always glad to have conversation and be a part of it. And I would, I'd encourage any church pastor leader to get involved. Well, for sure. Thank you for that. We yeah. certainly are trying to just provide some mechanisms for some of, some of us need more tangible mechanisms to get started and get That's going. Right. Uh, we know what to do when we get there, but sometimes it's hard to get started. And yep. So if we can be any part of that. so That's true. Well, thanks uh, for tuning into this episode of Neighboring. Uh, we'll 
we are no experts on this, uh, but we recognize that this is an ongoing conversation and challenge among churches and those that on either side, um, there's enough churches that are really trying to figure this out and aren't sure and um, are doing their best of trying to figure this out. And we know that there's a lot of people on the other side who just believe that the church isn't doing it well or right. And so hopefully this conversation really just brings some additional insights into the challenges and the nuances and uh, really a reminder that a church is just made up of individuals that you don't need the corporate expression to be on mission um, among your neighbors. And uh, you can, can go and lead and love your neighbors by simply just asking them one, one new question that you didn't ask them the last time to spark the, the conversation and, and really see how the Lord will speak to you through that. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Neighboring. We'll be back next week. Thank <laughs> you.